Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, one of the joys of this life, one of the wonderful blessings that God has given us is the ability to learn, the ability to grow. And one of the best ways that we can learn and grow is through reading, reading often and reading extensively, reading books you agree with and books you disagree with. And last year, among, among other books, I read two books that really made me think. These books were both written by solid Christian authors. The content of each book was faithful, biblical, and challenging. And the books were the exact opposite of each other. One book was called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. This book, it focuses on the gentleness and the tender love of Christ. And the author at the very beginning He recognizes the other side of Jesus. He says, Jesus is holy. He is angry with sin. He has some very harsh words to say to the Pharisees who are abusing the downtrodden. This is a real and valuable aspect of Jesus Christ. But the author, he's going to put his focus elsewhere. That's fair enough. Not every book can be everything. The other book was called Jesus Mean and Wild. The Unexpected Love of an Untamable God. And this book focuses on the difficult passages about Jesus Christ that we tend to ignore or gloss over or explain away. And the author, at the very beginning, recognizes the other side of Jesus. That he is gentle and lowly. That his heart aches for the hurting. That he came to save sinners from wrath. But the author puts his focus elsewhere. That's fair enough. Not every book can be everything. Not every book can be everything, but one book can, and that's the Bible. In our final letter to our final church, on first glance, when we take a look at it, we may see a bit more of the mean and wild Jesus. In verse 16, I will spit you out of my mouth. In verse 17, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. These are harsh words from our Lord. But there's the other side of him too. Verse 20, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Verse 21, To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. This is more along the lines of a gentle and lowly Jesus. So, what's the deal with Jesus? How can he speak words of judgment and condemnation out of one side of his mouth? while speaking words of peace and encouragement and forgiveness out of the other side. Well, the key, the key to this is verse 19. Chapter 3, verse 19, it makes it very clear what's going on. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Our Savior, he's always consistent in what he does. Everything, everything that he does is motivated by love even strong and harsh words. This is clear in in the tagline for the book, Jesus Mean and Wild. The tagline is this, God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. How true that is. Our lives become difficult due to the sin around us. It's true. We're surrounded constantly by sinners who sin against us. But more often than not, many of the difficulties in your life are caused or made worse 
by your own sin. It's hard to accept, it's hard to hear, but it's true. And that is tough love. That's the love that our Savior showed to the seventh lampstand, the lukewarm church. We'll look at their lukewarm heart and Christ's hot heart. The lukewarm church, their heart. Now, Laodicea, as I mentioned previously, is the seventh and final church written to in Revelation 2 and 3. As we went through the previous six churches in my home congregation of Cloverdale over the last several Lord's Supper celebrations, we spent some time orienting ourselves in the world of the particular church. Smyrna was a poor church in a rich city, and they were persecuted severely for their faith. Whereas Pergamum, that's where Satan's throne was. They dwelt where Satan dwelt. It's a place where there was horrific human sacrifice. But Laodicea, our church for today, the hardest part about Laodicea is remembering how to spell it. And even that's not that hard. Laodicea was a church just like us. We don't have to do too much imagining to put ourselves in their position. Laodicea, they were a rich church in a rich city. So if we could say that they had one problem, it would be having the disease known as affluenza. The same disease that perhaps many of us struggle with here today. Affluenza, it's, it's a term coined in the 50s that refers to what happens to your heart and your mind when you're surrounded by wealth and comfort. It is, as they say, good times produce weak men. When we don't have to struggle to make ends meet, we can begin to trust our bank account instead of trusting in our Lord. When we're surrounded by relative peace and security, we begin to expect these things and then demand them. And whenever anything comes across our plate that is different than this, whenever anything else, anything contrary to this, comes across our plate, we're we're whipped into a frenzy, not remembering what we were promised by the Lord. In this world, you will have trouble, and if the world hated you, or, or hated me, it will hate you. So we can say, good times produce weak men. We can say, good times make for lukewarm Christians. And so we must be on our guard against this. As much as we should fight for the truths of Christianity, we must fight against abortion and euthanasia. We must fight against loose morality and sexualization of our children. It's not true that the only enemies that we have are outside of ourselves. We are attacked at least as much, if not more, by our own flesh as we are by the world. And we don't see it because it creeps in so slowly and so subtly. And this was the same for the Laodiceans. What does Christ say to them in verse 17? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. The church had been so blessed that they began to think their blessing was from themselves. Notice how Christ quotes them, I am rich, I have prospered. There's no acknowledgement here that these blessings are from God. How tone deaf this church was. Their neighboring churches were fearing for their lives. Their neighboring churches were poverty stricken and persecuted. And they sat atop their mountains of wealth in pride and in comfort. 
And it was on these high mountaintops that they forgot their God. They had forgotten their God. And so they were called lukewarm by Christ. What exactly does this mean, being lukewarm? Verse 15. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The simplest understanding is the best understanding. Half-hearted Christians are the most unresponsive, the most unreceptive to the gospel. But, one of you will say, is Jesus really saying that he would rather his church be filled with non-Christians than half-hearted Christians? That can't be it. But it is. It is. This is what the Apostle Peter teaches in 2 Peter 2 verse 21 That's what he says, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. This is the hard truth. A lazy Christian, a prideful Christian who thinks that there is no need to pray, no need to hear the gospel preached, no need to do good works of love to his neighbor, no need to feast on the word of God. A lazy Christian is worse than a non-Christian. And why? There's two reasons. A lazy Christian is worse than a non-Christian for two reasons. Firstly, a lazy Christian has been enlightened to the truth of the gospel. They've heard the powerful word of the Lord. They know Jesus Christ, and they've chosen to reject him. Maybe not in so many words, but in their actions, in their day-to-day life. Every moment of their life, they live in rejection. They act as non-Christians while they know better. And they will be judged for what they did with knowledge they had received. It is a fearful thing for anyone to fall into the hands of the living God. But how much more for those who knew him and didn't care? For those who trample on the Son of God and treat his shed blood casually and irreverently. There's a fierce punishment for those people. That's the first problem. And secondly, what do you do with a lazy Christian? What can you do as a brother or sister in the faith? You visit, you remind your brother of the importance of Bible reading, you plead with them to return to the fellowship of the church, and they say, Yeah, I know this already. What can I do as a preacher? I can preach till I'm blue in the face, pleading, warning, crying out from the pulpit, and the response is, I know. Or even worse, the response can be, good sermon. Someone else should really hear this, but I don't have to. With an unbeliever, when you have an unbeliever who comes into the church, the gospel can hit their ears as something new as the very thing that they were missing, as the solution to the existential dread and guilt that they feel, as the way to fill up that God-shaped hole in their heart. And then with a genuine, living believer, the gospel is something that we can rally around. We can talk about it. We can celebrate it. We can work together with joy. But a lukewarm Christian, a half-hearted Christian, they are the most dangerous of all. And this was Laodicea. But then, 
And they're visited by Jesus Christ. They receive this letter. They receive a letter from the one who is the opposite of them. The one who is faithful and true. And he comes to them with harsh words of love, revealing his hot heart to them. That's our second point. Now today it's hard for us to value what is called tough love. We've been so conditioned to believe that if you love someone, you will always support everything that they do. Love must be supportive, right? Love must be unconditional, right? But we have it slightly wrong. Love must be supportive, it's true. But we must support the person, not every single decision that they make. We must love unconditionally, but sometimes love looks like a smack upside the head. It's true. When someone is acting in a self-destructive way, sometimes gently, sometimes firmly, we must show love by opposing what that person is doing. And for Jesus, sometimes it looked like saving an adulterous woman from stoning and then lovingly telling her to change everything about herself. Leave your life of sin. Then he gives the strength to her to do that. That's the gentle way. Other times, it looked like calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs and vipers and making a whip and turning over tables in the temple. Both of these instances were tough love, refusing to compromise truth. But what Jesus did is he met people where they were at. He knew just how hard to push. And this is what he does here too. Because how does he speak to his church in Laodicea. Well, he calls them out on their sins in a fairly strong way. He says, you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But that's not the whole letter. He doesn't just throw a truth bomb into their midst and then walk away, turning his back on the explosion. Because notice what he says in verse 16. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. He will. That's future. This is a warning. He has not yet spit them out of his mouth. He has not yet eternally condemned them. This is a warning. It's a firm warning, but but it's a loving warning. If you continue this way, if you continue to act as though you don't need me, you won't have me. After years and years of you telling me to leave, I will leave. I will give you the desires of your heart. If it's me, then I will give you myself. But if the desire of your heart is a life free from me, I'll give you that too. But realize what that means. Then verse 18. I counsel you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. They thought that they were rich, but they were rich in worldly, earthly gold. Jesus wants them to be truly rich, rich with the things of the gospel, with true, real, and lasting gold. I counsel you to buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And Revelation chapter 7 explains that these white garments are robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, he's holding his hands out to them. He says, you half-hearted, Hard-hearted church, come to me, and I will not send you away. I will never cast you out. Come to me, 
to me. Be covered in my blood. Depend on me for your salvation. Participate in my sacrifice. And you will have all of your guilt and your shame washed away. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Celebrate my supper with me. Celebrate our unity and your forgiveness that I won for you. Then he goes on. There's another counseling moment here. He says, I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now even though, scientifically speaking, it's your retina that's necessary for sight, it's your, it's your soul that shapes what you see. If your soul is confused, if your soul is growing cold and calloused, you'll become blind to so many things. When your soul is sick, one of the first symptoms is blindness. Bitterness in your soul is like eye cancer. When we're hurt, we allow our soul to grow toxic. We think, oh, I'm, I'm just becoming a realist. But truly what you're doing is you're desensitizing yourself. You're blinding yourself. You grow blind to those around you who want to help you. You lash out instead of opening up. And this feeds your bitterness. This feeds your blindness. Well, I'm the only one that I can trust. I just can't hope again. I'll get hurt. And so you build up wall after wall after wall until your faith is just Jesus and me. Because all those Christians, they're awful and they're hurtful and they're unloving. But the walls that you build up to keep the church out, these walls keep Christ out too. The walls that you build to keep the church out keep Christ out too. If you don't love your brother or sister whom you have seen, how can you love Christ whom you haven't seen? And so Jesus, he comes alongside this prideful, blind church, and he says, please, please let me break down your walls. Let's, let us remove them together brick by brick. The cost is great. To change metaphors here, what, what does the ISAV cost? It costs everything. You will be hurt. You will cry tears of pain. But I'll be there with you every step. I'll be there with you every step. We will walk this difficult journey together. Verse 20. I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The benefit of no walls far exceeds the cost. It will cost you everything. But you will gain so much more. You will have fellowship with Christ. You will have a living faith. You will not be protected from every hurt, from every pain, but you will experience miraculous, merciful healing. You will receive strength to recover and to walk the path of righteousness all the way to that great throne of heaven. Verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. The great throne of heaven, where our heavenly Father will welcome us into his lap like the best grandfather ever. Come sit with me. Rule with me. Enjoy my presence. Snuggle in beside me, my darling child. You're safe already now. Whatever happens in the world, I will keep you for myself. You are already safe. And one day, you will never be hurt again. You are already loved Already now, 
Whoever hurts you and betrays you, doesn't matter, I will never stop loving you. You're already loved, and one day you will experience the fullness of my perfect love and the fullness of the perfect love of the great multitude of brothers and sisters, all redeemed by Christ's blood. So let us, right now, join together with each other in unity, knowing that we have been hurt and we have hurt others. But putting that aside and extending an olive branch, breaking down our walls, softening our hard hearts, knowing that in ourselves we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But in Christ, in Christ we are beloved. We are honored. We are rich. We are clothed in his righteousness. And we have eyes that can look at our brother and sister in love and eyes that look at Christ in everlasting thankfulness and adoration. Amen.